We have been walking through this uh, series called The Journey Through the Cross, and we've been looking at uh, specifically what, what happened leading up to the cross and what happened the days following. And this morning I have on my heart the, the desire to share with, some, with you something I feel like the Lord may want to say to us, may want to remind some of us, may want to encourage us in. And it has to do with, with this idea that, um, that because he lives, the rest of our story can be written by grace. And, you know, in many ways, I'd like us to consider this because uh, I, I've experienced this in my own life. Um, I've been able to be a part of this happening in different people's lives. But certainly uh, this is true. This is not something new per se. It has been true for many lives, for many generations since Jesus himself stepped on uh, to the stage of human history and started declaring that God was on the move. The question has never been whether or not this is true. The question has always been how much this is true. See, we get to decide if grace is going to have its freedom in our lives or if it will have a limited access to who we are and where we are going and how we are doing. Certainly, because he lives, grace has the great opportunity to write in us a new story, the rest of our story. How much that's going to happen is given to us to decide. And I remember when I first started uh, really coming into contact with this idea that uh, grace does have room in my life where I get to decide is when I was actually, I just started coming to church. Um, I started coming to church when I was around 15, 16 with my family and uh, I enjoyed it and it compelled me to come back and I kept coming and um, before you know it, about a, you know, I was in, enrolled in a uh, kind of a new beginner's uh, course on what this looks like in terms of following Jesus. And, and then I was baptized with my parents. And uh, after that, I was asked if I would like to serve anywhere. And I said, yeah, I would, I would, I would love to serve. Where, where would you like me to serve? And they said, would you consider being an usher? And I was 17 at the time. And I said, Sure, never heard of it. I'll do it. And, uh, and they said, okay, no problem, show up. And uh, they put me off in a corner uh, where I noticed nobody really walked through. Uh, <laughs> but they gave me an usher tag, and uh, they just said, you know, say hi to people and welcome them and direct them. And I said, okay, great. And so um, I, I enjoyed doing it for a while, and I was serving on the first service on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and then after a period of time, I had a hard time getting up uh, early enough to make it on time. And so what I would do is I would get up and I would call my usher lead and, and leave her a message on her home phone and, uh, and, uh, while she was at church. And I would drive quickly and uh, try to get here as fast as possible, not being noticed. And uh, I, I was noticed late. And um, I remember she would be so graceful with me, you know. And, and yet this started bothering me because what was happening was the reason I was late is I was staying up a little bit too late on Saturday nights with my friends. And uh, probably doing things I probably shouldn't be doing. And it started bothering me. Started feeling like a little bit of a disconnect. Didn't feel totally comfortable with being an usher on Sunday mornings and yet having other areas of my life that maybe didn't add up. And so I felt like it was time for a change. Something needed to change. And so I decided um, I, I wouldn't usher anymore. <laughs> and... I ended up, uh, I remember that Sunday morning driving and deciding, you know, I'm going to go ahead and let my usher lead know, and I'm going to ask to be released. And, um, you know, I went up to her, and, and she was, she was um, I, I respected her greatly. I, I was um, honest, just intimidated. Uh, but I remember um, going up to her and kind of just, you know, 
cautiously asking if I could talk to her for just a second. She says, yeah, no problem. So she, she comes off and, uh, to the side, and I said, you know, I, was, I, I think I, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't want to keep letting you down. I'm always late, and I feel pretty bad, and I just don't think I should be doing this anymore. She says, why, why not? And I said, well, I, I, I'm having a hard time getting up on time, and uh, I, I just think uh, maybe I should take a break. And she says, hmm, well, uh, can you give me... Give me one second. I'll be right back. She said, I said, yeah, no problem. So she goes and takes care of a couple conversations, comes back and says, can, can you follow me? Let's go to a more private place. And inside, I, I, everything said, no, don't. Don't go. <laughs> right? But I, I just couldn't help it. I said, yeah, sure. Let's, let's go. And, and so I followed her, and, and we went off to the side. And she, she says, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to release you. And I thought, I'm, I'm a volunteer. <laughs> what? And, what do you mean? And she says, uh, you know, in fact, I'm going to ask you to make a, a commitment to me. And I said, uh-huh. She says, um, you know, because I've noticed you haven't been coming when you're not serving. And so I'd like to do something. I, I have, I'd like you to make a commitment. I'm going to reduce the amount of times you're serving to once a month. And then it doesn't really matter what time you show up. Can you just commit that you will show up every other time you're not serving? And I remember sitting there and um, not realizing this is, this is not the way I expected uh, <laughs> things to go. I was about to be released, and now I'm about to make a bigger commitment, and uh, this is somehow changing around. So I, I you know, I ended up making that commitment, because what, what happened is, um, is she, she, she didn't stop there. You know, I just kind of was sitting on what she was saying, and then she stepped forward, and she says, you know, I, I, know, what's, I know what's going on. I know what's going on the weekends with you, and I thought, well, who, who told you? <laughs> who, you know, and she says, but, but, um, and then she says something that really has stuck with me. She says, you know, the, the story's not over on you. It's not over. And, um, and I just sat with that, and she's, she's like, whoa. I said, okay, I, I'll, you know, I can do that. And, you know, that really hit me. In fact, I'm, even now, many years later, I'm still, Saturday night, I'm ushering, same place. And uh, Sunday mornings, I get to hang out with youth. And uh, that, that loving challenge put me face to face with the decision I needed to make. Was I going to allow my guilt? Was I going to allow the inconsistencies to have its final way? Or was I going to open myself up to what maybe grace may want to say? And that made, that made a huge difference in my life. It, it really impacted me. And over time, I was able to work through things and walk through things. And in some ways, that, that was just the beginning. You know, it, it, some might say, now I have the privilege of being able to periodically share with you what a great privilege I have in doing that. And you would maybe say the rest is history from that moment to now. But except a couple years ago, we went to El Salvador with my parents. That's where they're from. And we were visiting some family. And we were having a conversation with an aunt. My dad and I went to go visit her. She had, last time she saw me, I was a, a, a little boy, and so she was asking me things, you know. And so she was uh, sitting. I remember specifically sitting in the living room, and um, we, she was sitting in her, what you could tell was her chair. And uh, she was sitting there, and she was a little older. And then my, my dad and myself, and she, she just asked me some questions. And, and, y, y, y como, como estás? How, how are you doing? And so uh, I told her, and she says, ¿Y de la escuela? What about school? What is going on there? And so I let her know I was graduating, and then she asked about my job, and then, ¿Y tu novia? Which at the time was my fiancé, now my wife. And 
She was excited. Each, each step, she just, you could tell she was kind of lighting up, right? Because she hadn't heard much. And, and so then uh, she turns to my dad and she says, um, and then she asked me, actually before that, she asked me, what am I doing now? And she's, I tell her I'm working with teens. And um, she says, you're a pastor to youth. I said, yeah. And she says, wow, that's great. That's really great. And she looks at my dad and she says, el muchacho está haciendo muy bien, which uh, the young man seems to be doing really well. And then she looked at me and she said, so far. <laughs> and hasta ahorita, until now, right? And then she says, you know, the story is not over with you. And um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes, huh? I said, huh, yeah. I, I mean, I hope it goes well, you know. She says, well, we, we don't ever know. We don't ever know until the pen is put down. And um, it was a great reminder. It's a great reminder. It doesn't really matter where we might be at in our journey. Whether we might be on the brink of some dynamic changes in our lives. Where our past is very close to us. Or we might be on a path that we've been walking in for uh, a number of years now. The decision is always ours. What is our life writing? And who has the pen? See, because he lives, grace can write the rest of our story. And I love this because so much of life is lived in the struggle. So much of life is lived in the place of anxiety and the place of personal doubt. So much of life is lived in the, in the busyness. And if we're not careful, that can overtake everything we see. That can cloud us. And, and the reality is there is something else going on than exactly what is in front of us. And from the very beginning, when people met Jesus, one thing was held in common. If they opened themselves up to what he had to offer, this story would be true. They were this way. They met Christ, opened themselves up to what he had for them, and they changed. Something happened. And what I love about the scriptures is that they don't hide Flaws. They don't hide mistakes. They don't hide past. They don't gloss over things. It's on full display for us. And the more we get to know them, I feel, at least for myself, the more comfortable I feel in their company. Because they're so human. There's frailty. There's mistakes. There's complex issues. There's pasts. There's things needing to be worked through. And one of the lives we're going to look at, one of the people who interacted with Christ in, in some way and decided, made a decision, a daily decision to allow grace to have its way was Paul. And if you open up your handout, we're going to look at a portion of his life through the letters he wrote through to different churches. He, he, had a, a, he had an intimate part with their beginning. And he's writing a letter to this uh, church in Corinth. And the reason he's writing, he's communicating with them is because their relationship is a bit strained. And so he's trying to communicate with them, trying to build a bridge, maybe even remind them how their relationship started. And Paul the Apostle writes this in verse 3. He says, look, I delivered. Remember, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. See, there was a moment where I received this. And that is what I delivered to you. And this is what I delivered to you. This is what I came bearing. This is the message I proclaimed to you. This is how we got to know each other. Christ died for our sins, according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, 
and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. This is the message I was bearing. And I remember, remember this. Remember how we got to know each other centered around this. And that he was seen by Cephas, that is Peter, and then by the twelve. This is what happened in human history. And this, this is what has created our relationship and created so much more. And then he turns a corner onto how he became a part of his story. He says, look, then last of all, he was seen by me also. As by one born out of due time. That is, I wasn't there at the beginning where things were happening. There was a time, perhaps, where I wish I almost was there. I wasn't. You could sense the separation between him and the rest of the apostles. Between himself and when he came to know Christ, and maybe when he would have loved to know Christ. And he says, look, I, I am the least of the apostles. I consider myself the least. In fact, I I am not even worthy to be called an apostle. An apostle is somebody who goes to a a people group that have never received the the great news of who Jesus is and what it means to them and shares that news. He says, I'm not even worthy of the title. I mean, this is Paul. This is the man that is known as the gritty, tough Paul who endured persecution and suffering, shipwreck, For the name of Christ. This is Paul who passionately set himself on a course of telling everyone he could, in any way he could, in whatever way he could connect, he would use to connect to a people group to be able to tell them about Christ. This is Paul who says, you know what, when I look in the mirror, I see the least. And we get a sense of his self-image a little bit. And this is why. He says, look, because, because I persecuted, this is who I was. I persecuted the church of God. And perhaps when he wrote this, it would strike into the memory of the people in Corinth, the reputation he used to have before he met Christ. It would be enough to remind them of who he used to be, how he used to be, what he used to do. There were probably lingering tales of what he had done. But to you and I, maybe it's not so easy to access that. And there was a different uh, point in his life where he's shackled between, shackled in the midst of two rulers, giving his defense, explaining why he is in shackles, why he's lived the way he's lived. And this is what he's telling. In the midst of that, he decides to give them a little bit more detail of what persecuting the church looked like. We might get an idea of why he felt the way he felt. This is what he said, and put it up there. He said, listen, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. This is who I was. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. I was authorized by a leading priest, and I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And we think about that. We think about the relationships that were torn apart the lives that were interrupted, all because they decided to surrender themselves to Christ. He interrupted lives, families, friendships, sent them to prison. And if that's not enough, we get a little bit more weight. He says, 
and I cast my vote. I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Think of the weight of his past. He says, many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus, and I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. This is who Paul was. And after this, he was on one of these journeys in foreign cities to violently chase them down on his way to Damascus that Christ decides to interrupt his life. And in Acts 9, we get to read the amazing, extraordinary story of how he comes into contact with the one who lives. And from that moment to the moment he was writing this letter, in some way, shape, or form, he allowed grace to take over. And what ended up happening is the great persecutor became the great representative. The one who violently opposed, passionately proclaimed an amazing transformation happened. In fact, so much so that when he first started claiming allegiance to Christ, the 12 didn't believe it. And I had to take somebody else to vouch for him that this is sincerely true in him. And the working out of his life became him deciding that grace would have its way. What an amazing story. And then he goes on and he says, listen, this is what happened. I persecuted the church, but now by the grace of God, I, I am what I am. I, I cannot take any credit for it. You know me as the one who bears the gospel, who bears the message of grace and forgiveness. You know me as the one who comes, who goes wherever he can to tell people that Jesus lives. And because he lives, we have an opportunity to a new life. That's how you know me. That's my reputation now. I understand that. I cannot claim it as my own. I can only give credit to grace. And I can only give credit to the grace that has been active in my life. And then he says even more. He says, his grace toward me was not in vain. No, it was not with ill effect. It, it produced much in me. It didn't just do something in me. He says, no, in response to it, I labored more abundantly than they all. I worked hard, not for this grace, an impossible task, but fueled by it. This amazing love that was given to me was not given to me in vain. I did not contain it for myself. I couldn't help it. I set myself on a path and lit by its fire. I decided to work for it. I decided to work because of it, out of it, fueled by it. And that's what I've been doing from then till now. I've been laboring, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. It is not something that I can lay hold of in terms of claiming it. It is something that God decided to do in me and through me. Powerful. Powerful. And later in his life, he's writing towards the end of his life, towards the end of his days, he, and he still is writing the same proclaiming the same message to a different church, a church in Philippi. He writes these extraordinary words, words that we may be familiar with, but may be good reminders. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, look, I have not achieved it. I haven't arrived. 
but I focus on this one thing. This is what I have done. This is what I am doing. This is what I will do. I for, forgetting the past. Forgetting the past. And it's not like the memory was taken away. Now, I don't think Paul lived a day without uh, being able to say, I, I forgot what happened. I forgot who I was. No. He's saying that will not define me. That will not define who I am. No, I'm forgetting the past. I'm not allowing it to claim me. Instead, I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. And that is how I'm living my life out. For what lies ahead. I've pressed on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. There is a reason Christ called me, which God through Christ Jesus is calling me, us, all of us, anyone who meets the one who lives. We have now a new future to chase after. Paul decided, he decided at the very beginning when he first met him, he decided through the middle of his life and he decided towards the end of his days that his days, as long as he had breath, grace had something to say. And in our remaining minutes together, I'd like us to consider what this may mean for us. What perhaps the Lord may want to touch in us, speak to, breathe to, as we seek to follow him as best as we can today in this present time. And I'd like to put this under the heading of because he lives. Certain things are true. Firstly, I'd like to say that he, because he lives, our past does not have the final say. It does not have the final say. We need to remember that it was true for Paul, and it's certainly true for us. See, there may be things that we've been carrying around that maybe we've refused to discuss with anyone, but we know they're there. And when we're alone, and when we're in our place of reflection, these things that we have carried may accuse us. They may try to define us. They may try to hold us, to weigh us down. And the Lord wants to teach us. He wants to teach us to turn those things over to him, to ask for forgiveness and say, they have no claim over me. They do not define me. Something has happened because he lives I am able to be free. And though I will never forget it, I can point to it and say, listen, this is an example of the amazing grace and love that God has done in my life right here. This is who I was. And by his grace, this is who I was, not who I am. And a lot of times, maybe it may not be our past of our own doing, mistakes, consequences that we have created for ourselves. It may actually be wounds that have been inflicted upon us from other people's mistakes. Perhaps it may be a relationship that went awry, that for whatever we, we, we want to, we simply have a hard time letting that wound heal, letting that debt be set free. We may have a hard time forgiving. And it's not like it's a single decision that's made once and never to be revisited. Sometimes the Lord wants to teach us how to endure in the forgiveness. 
how to endure in the saying, you know what? This may have happened to me, but by the grace of God, it does not define me. I forgive. Repayment is not necessary. And the healing balm, the healing balm, this is what happens. We turn to the one who is wounded for us, and by his wounds, our wounds are healed. And the limp that we once carried that prevented us from run, running with freedom will be strengthened. And the bone that may have been broken can be reset, reaffirmed, set for a new day. And the amazing thing about this is that it's not just something that we are allowing ourselves to live in for, for just that. What happens is as we allow this to penetrate our souls, as we sit in this, as we embrace what grace may have for us, we become transformed. We can be transformed. Because he lives, things can change. Things can change. Maybe habits. And it's, this is hard. You know, here's the thing. We, we may have a hard time accepting this, receiving this on the heels of failure. Or on the heels of stepping into something that was part of who we used to be or part of what we're trying to challenge and we're contending for growth and we're contending for something to happen. Breakthrough, perhaps. A lot of times in conversation with different people, this, this is where we, I have found myself and those around me, this is the challenge for us. And the idea that God can actually change me. You see, you don't understand. I've, I've had these conversations with people where people have said to me, Lewis, you don't understand. I almost feel like I can't win. And in the conversation, what ends up happening is there's something that comes out that has haunted or perhaps sought to define. And in those conversations, in those moments, what happens is we are able to embrace the fact that God can transform us. And, and I, I've often thought of it this way, that maybe the ground of our soul may be hardened and there may be cracks in them, but the seeds of life have been planted. And over time, that seed is watered, nourished, and nurtured and that seed breaks into life and something is able to grow within our soul and though the progress may be slow and the growth may be by inches what happens is this plant develops and it overtakes the hardened places of our lives and life is able to gradually grow and over the long stretch of our life we are able to say look back and say whoa god has done something in a conversation with one of the parents in our ministry, we were talking about things, and one of the things he said to me, which really, he says, you know, we can only really see God move in our lives in the rearview mirror. Because it's only when we look back that we see what he's been doing. In the fog of it, in the present, we have to believe that he actually is here. That he is moving now. And perhaps the Lord may want to press in on us. Encourage us, remind us, strengthen us in the belief that, belief that he is on the move. That his life is able to do something new and refreshing. That he's able to break out of what we've been contained in. And transform us. Transform us. And as this happens, we're able to step into a future that we maybe before didn't even believe was a possible. See, because he lives, 
our futures can be redeemed. Our futures can be redeemed. The story does not end at the tomb. The story does not end with Paul persecuting the church. The story does not end with our mistakes. The story does not end with our guilt or any shame we may be carrying. It doesn't end with our limitations that we feel prevent us from stepping forward. It doesn't end there. Because he lives, we're able to be transformed and new possibilities open up. New horizons are shown to us. Perhaps dreams that we once believed in can be reawakened. And for us, maybe what it looks like is setting ourselves on a course, on a path that we will run after. That his grace will not be given to me in vain. But that I will labor abundantly fueled by it. And in the course of laboring this life out, life will spread. Future possibilities will be opened up. Opportunities to share this life and this grace will be given. Something will happen. Something new is on the move. And the choice is ours if we're going to allow grace to have its way. May we surrender ourselves in the deeper parts of our soul to be released from what may be trying to hold us captive. And may we embrace the adventure before us that God may want to write. See, Paul had no idea how many people his decision would affect. We really, I don't think we could truly imagine that he thought in any way that 2,000 years later, his decision, his words, would be fueled by the life-giving Spirit of God to encourage us, strengthen us, to heal families and relationships, to restore the broken vessels, to breathe life afresh and anew. Who is waiting for us? Who is supposed to be affected by the transformation within us? What relationships, future generations, what current spheres of influence are waiting for us to hand the pen over to grace and say, I surrender. Write your story through me. Write it. Write it afresh. Write it anew. Have your way and write a beautiful, beautiful story. One we could never take credit for. One we could always say, it is grace doing. In fact, in a moment, the band's going to come back and share a closing song with us. It's called Beautiful Things. I'd like to encourage us to approach this song in a certain way. See, I think there are some of us, we're on the edge. We're on the edge of deciding. And we need help. And we need encouragement. And we need the belief that this is not true for others only, but this is true for me, for us. In the second stanza on the third line, it says, could a garden come up from this ground at all? 
I think there are some of us who may be asking that very question about ourselves. God, can you truly do something with me? I mean, you know everything. You know all things. You know my past. You know what's going on. You know the struggles that, that try to hold me down. You know the things that try to define me. Can you truly do something through me? And I, I just want to encourage us to join in with this song that he makes beautiful things. And that out of the dust of who we are, he can birth something new, something refreshing. Perhaps some of us need to pray this song so that we can let go, so that we can release, so that we can receive, so that something new can begin. The small steps of grace can start to be taken by us. And over the long arc of our life story, we can look back and say, God, because he lives, grace wrote my story. May this be true for us. May this be true for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that uh, at the end of the day, you see everything about us. You see everything within us. You know our steps. You know where they have taken us. You know how they have brought us even here this morning. And you know where they are going to take us. And I pray, God, that you would help us allow your spirit in and help us allow your beautiful work to take place in our souls. Some of us, God, the pain of life, the pain of life is all we see right now. And we need your help, God. We need your help to allow your grace to set us free, to lift the weight off, and to write something new to write something life-giving, to write something beautiful. Help us receive the full measure of what you want to do, God. And may what you have started be brought to its completion. We pray for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.